Let us pray. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear His name. Indeed, all glory and honor belongs to our wonderful and magnificent Lord. We, able, we are able to be here. We are able to give as we are motivated because of what the Lord has done for us in His mighty grace. So we commemorate that grace in now, now in giving, not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great gratitude. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Y'all will notice in your bulletin that we have a Logos Bible software class here at the church at 3 p.m. on August the 4th. That's a Saturday. Um, if for some reason you want to come and that's not a good date for you, if you let me know, we still have time to change that, but that seemed to work good last time. Let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, and during that time we have the opportunity to name privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, You are our God, a great an awesome God in power and in might, but also full of grace and mercy. We pray that you will help us to focus on the message this morning. All of us need to recharge our spiritual batter batteries. We live in enemy territory, and it's easy to get whittled down day after day. You lift us up with the solid rock of your word. So we pray that you will help us to focus for we pray it. In Christ's name, amen. If you'll take your Bibles and open to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. I thought I completed Joshua 7 last Sunday, but evidently I didn't because there's a few loose ends that I was led to tie up this morning with regards to Achan. You'll remember Achan. He was the guy that saw, he desired, and then he stole. Then he pulled the trigger on his lust to have articles that had been under a ban. Jericho was the first city that the Israelites conquered in the land of Canaan, and that was to be given to the Lord, the first fruits. That was His. And so nothing was to be taken. Everything was to be destroyed except those things that would be going into the temple. And Achan found something and just yielded to temptation and... We see as a consequence the whole nation of Israel suffered because of it. There's so many things to glean out of 
the Scriptures, if you just slow down and look at them and meditate on them and think about them, there's so many messages there for us. The first thing that comes to mind is that Achan thought he could get by with his sin. Silly Achan. Silly us. In Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, it says, Be sure that your sin will find you out. You may be a master deceiver. You may be able to fraud your parents, deceive your friends, and think that you get by with something, but God is omniscient. He knows your every thought. He knows your every action. And you can't hide it from God. And so because of that sin, he paid a dear price, but he had already been warned. God always gives us uh, the facts, and when he did that, deceived and, and cheated, it always affects other people. That's another principle we want to see about this. <clears throat> but this is what I didn't bring out even the first time when I was here. This is our review. Is Achan did acknowledge his sin to the Lord. Look at verse 20. Joshua chapter 7, verse 20. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. And then he goes on and explains how it came about. Go one verse earlier in verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to Him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. There's always a measure of relief when you unburden yourself with the guilt of deceiving or lying or cheating. And don't be deceived. It, your sin, my sin, always affects other people. And it, it's going to be found out and you'll feel better afterwards. It's just the fear. It's just the, uh, the dread of people thinking that you have done something ill. But just remember this. There's no person that ever breathed, except our Lord Jesus Christ, who ever was perfect. We've all sinned. We all make it a practice of sinning, even though that's not what we desire to do, because it is our nature. We have a sin nature. And the only reason that we're able not to sin is because of what Christ did on the cross. Yes, He broke the penalty that we were under, or He, he was able to uh, pay the price for us, but He did something else as well. He broke the power of sin, which means when you're a believer, you are instantly indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit. You're also baptized with the Holy Spirit. And at that point on, you don't have to sin. You have a choice as to whether you're going to sin or not. And Achan made a bad choice. Now, he did acknowledge his sin to God. So here's the issue that I want to bring before you. Was Achan a believer? Well, you say that with certainty. I'm not sure that he was. He did acknowledge his sin to God. Uh, you have Joshua who was very skilled. He was a professional in interrogating people. Didn't have to use torture. 
didn't have to uh, scare him or anything else. All he did was appeal to his sense of judgment and conscience. I think actually that Achan wanted to to admit what he had done because the longer you carry that guilt, the heavier it gets. And so he acknowledged his sin to God and it's very possible that he was a believer. It could be that he just acknowledged, yes, I sinned, but uh, did it under the sense that maybe by acknowledging it that he would be forgiven whether he was a believer or not. But let's take, let's take the, the idea that he was a believer. If he was a believer and he acknowledged his sin before God, was he forgiven? Yes, of course. This is, it applies in the Old Testament believers as it does in the New Testament believers. When a believer acknowledges his Sin to God is forgiven. Now, why is it forgiven? Just because he acknowledged it. Because Christ paid for that sin. Well, he hadn't yet in Achan's time, but he was going to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he paid for that sin. That's the doctrine of unlimited atonement. Now, here's the dilemma. What happened to Achan? He was executed, wasn't he? He and his family members who were involved in this, it wasn't his wife, but some of his children were. So what is the important lesson we can glean from what we see already in this short account? Just because you acknowledge your sin to God does not mean that the consequences go away. How did this, well, for, how did this work for Achan, this mindset? Well... I want this so, so bad. I, I'm going to go ahead and steal it because after I do and I bury it in the ground, I can always rebound. How'd that work for him? Huh? If he did that, that was his mindset when he stole it. Then acknowledging a sin in that sense is not acknowledging a sin. It's a con job and God is not conned. You see, what God wants from us is humility. He wants us to take responsibility for our sin. And any time we use what we think is a cute little gimmick, yes, I'll sin, I'll do this, I'll do whatever it may be, but I can always rebound. Ha ha. Ali Ali oxen free. This is why God has recorded this in His Word for us to realize. Sin is a very serious issue. And it spills out into so many people, it is as if it is contagious. Your sin can cause someone else to sin. When there's someone in your group that is uh, being obnoxious, being caustic, they're just bringing everybody down. And they can cause other people to sin because the next thing you know, when you have a sin, I mean, excuse me, a friend that is sinning, it's hard for the rest of the group to stay in fellowship. You want to judge that person. You want to maybe choke that person. So there's much to learn from, from this account. Now, something else that we can remember or should remember why did God 
execute him, well, it was because of his justice. We realize that. But there's, no, there's another aspect to this that we, we need to recognize as well. Because some people, I know, when they see what happened to Achan and even his children, I mean, God's justice is thorough. And there was nothing left of them. Even after they stoned them to death, they took the bodies and burned them. I mean, God was making a point here. And this is something that will help us understand what he did better. We need to realize that God means business. And that's hard for us to grasp in a society that is so lax as it is today. People just about get away with, well, they get away with murder a lot of times. You can, you can murder someone today and you can, you can even acknowledge it. You can confess it. Yeah, I murdered them. Okay, you're going to prison and they get, they, I don't know, maybe give them uh, 40 or 50 years or something like that. And what, they're out in seven Seven years? Some people can calculate if they have to murder someone in order to steal a million dollars, they'll do it because they'll never make a million dollars in seven years and they can go to prison, have three hots and a cot, and they're good to go. They don't mind it. Of course, if we were living in a under God's principles, what would happen to someone who murdered anyone for whatever reason? Yeah. Capital punishment is a biblical principle. You take someone else's life, then God says your life is forfeited. I think if we, you know, they say that we have, we still have capital punishment. Well, what we have isn't capital punishment. I am proud to be in Texas where at least we still do execute people. But even then, what is it, 20 years after the fact? And someone may have butchered a whole family. And yet, at the end of 20 years being taken care of by the state, they're just put to sleep. I guess that's how they put animals to sleep. I don't know. I'll see Kathy here. I'd ask her. Um, the thing is, we are not accustomed to justice being administered. Therefore, we need to realize that that's not so with God. God is just. And here's one reason it's important for you to realize this. If we can't believe God when He gives a command, when He gives a warning and He says, you shall not do this or this is going to happen, if He doesn't carry through on that, then why should we have any reason to believe Him when He says, He who believes on the Son has eternal life? That's a promise too. He has, to be, he has to be faithful in everything He does. And parents, this goes doubly for you. When you are dealing with your children, you have to be very careful in what you say with regards to retribution. If you tell your child, we're going, um, we're going to be away for the night and I don't want you to have anyone over here. I don't want you to have any parties. Because if you do, you're going to be grounded. I'm going to take away your cell phone. <gasps> and so the parents come home and they're having a party. What do they do? Well, I told you not to do this. And these, these teenagers, listen, they, they know how to manipulate. Let's just put it this way. They're not always smart in all things, but they are smart 
in trying to garner pity for themselves. Uh, of course, I don't have to tell you parents that. The back row on the right here is kind of cringing right now. <laughs> but they know it's true. I don't have to tell them. They have heard from their friends. They come up from their own self. Yes, but. Yes, but. And yes, but. Remember what we were talking about, but just at the beginning of this chapter. Everybody has to deal with the big but, and everybody laughs. <laughs> Here's my point, parents. If you don't carry through on what you say, then why should your children believe anything else that you say? You have to be consistent. You have to be faithful. And that's what God is doing. And so even though we may be uncomfortable with what happened to Achan, even though he was humble and he acknowledged his sin to God, he still bore the consequences of his sin. Because God is going to show that he doesn't mess around. When he says something, you better believe it. And the whole nation was learning a lesson from that. And that's why it's recorded for us, for us to learn the same lesson. God takes his word and sin very seriously. So we really have two, two options, don't we? Children have two options with regards to their parents. Christians have two options with regards to their heavenly parent, that is, God the Father. We can either obey Him and receive blessings, or we can disobey Him and receive wrath. Somebody says discipline. Well, dis listen, if you've ever been disciplined by God, you'll be more prone to call it wrath. God knows how to chastise. And today, we have so many, so many parents that have lost the concept of what I'm teaching today. They get sloppy, and their kids are always there trying to push the envelope a little further, a little further, get by with a little more. And parents today, and even, that goes with husbands, teachers, all across the board, feel like when they assert their authority and require justice, then there's some kind of ogre. There's some kind of uh, uh, monster. And that's because people have got so far away from what justice really is. But you know what justice is? It's a protection. It's a protection from those who are under someone's authority. And if you don't, listen, I've said this, I don't know how many times I've said it, but I'm going to keep saying it. If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a husband, whatever you may be, if you do not exercise your authority, you will lose it. Exercising authority is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But it has to be done in the right way. It's never done in anger. Now, let's see how many toes I can step on right now. Um, this, just, this is just something that grades on me. And I don't think it's right. It has to do with parents, so I'm going to throw it out there just for the last little bit of tidbit here. It seems to be fashionable, 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 thank you. I knew that didn't sound right. seems to be fashionable today for parents to not give their, command, uh, their kids command, but to ask them to do something. Johnny, will you please take out the trash? 
Do you know, I've took out the trash in my home hundreds of times. And I don't know how many times my dad would have to remind me, and he never once ever asked me. He never once asked me to do anything. Well, yeah, later on in life he did, but when I was still under his roof, I, he didn't. He would give me commands. Take out the trash. Yes, sir. That's the way it works. But today, uh, uh, Susie, will you please clean up your room? I would love to see Susie at one time say, No, I don't think so. I'm not in the mood. And she would be perfectly within her rights because, after all, it was a question. Will you do it? No. You're giving me a choice? No, I don't think so. But what usually happens is Susie just ignores her. And the mother, Susie, I mean, uh, was it Susie? Yeah. Susie? (laughs) Susie, will you please clean up your room? Oh, well, if you put it that way, no, I don't think so. It's still a request. That's how far we've gotten away from people with authority wielding that authority in a just way. And that is what the Bible is teaching us this morning. is righteous and it is just and it is godlike. Not to do it in anger, not to do it in an abusive way, but just do it. If you do that, then you know what your children are going to know? And they will even probably tell your fr- their friends. My mama means business. My daddy means what he says. It will protect them. It will keep them out of trouble. Okay, so that's our two, our two options. We are, we are either part of the problem or we're part of the solution. God put it this way. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, He who is not for me is against me. There's no neutral ground. There's no, well, yeah, I'll do it when I get around to it. You obey or else there's consequences. And that is a demonstration of love. Sometimes they call it tough love. Okay, those are the loose ends I wanted to tie up in chapter 7. Now we're going on to chapter 8. So look at chapter 8. I don't know if you've been putting the titles down. I've been giving you for each chapter what they consist of. This one is chapter 8, God turns defeat into victory. The Israelites were to manage to be defeated. But God always can turn that around. Let me put a map up here for you for a moment. Let me give you a reference point. This is the Dead Sea, Jerusalem. Here's where they started. This is Shittim over here. And they moved out and crossed the river. We carried all that, went through all that. Then they see the circle around Jericho. They took care of that. Everything was going so great that they got the big head. Oh, this is going to be easy. The next place was Ai. Uh, This is uh, Ai right here. It's not that far from Jericho. And they got that big head in chapter 7. So we'll just take a few forces over there. Uh, we don't even need to consult God. Just go over there and take care of that. It won't be any big deal. Just, just do it. And they got over there and got defeated. 
And one thing that God was not going to allow them to do is to bypass Ai. I mean, they were, they were embarrassingly defeated. And so the strategy for most would be, uh, okay, let's, let's uh, just bypass and go over here. Maybe we'll go to Gibeon or uh, some of these cities down here. Do you know why God did not let them bypass Ai? Because they had a lesson to learn. What they had to learn was the problem in being defeated at Ai wasn't about Ai. Didn't have any. See, you've heard me phrase it this way: the problem is never the problem. It's always your attitude about the problem that's the problem attitude they had a flippant arrogant attitude and that had to be dealt with i think it was zig ziglar said uh, have y'all heard of zig ziglar before oh he's 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 a great well he's a great man a great salesman anyway he said it's not your aptitude it's your attitude that determines your altitude. And that's I, a truer statement couldn't been, couldn't been made. It's not your aptitude, but your attitude that determines your altitude. So they had, they had a problem, and the problem was that they were arrogant. They started thinking that they were responsible for all the victories, they started thinking that it was their abilities. And so God had to give them an attitude adjustment. And you would think that after Jericho and after dealing with Achan, that they would have been alert to an attitude problem, wouldn't you? Because they were, they were seeing that uh, God is in charge and He means business. So God is going to go through a series of things here to give them an attitude adjustment. Now, let's look at eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise and go up to Ai and see, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, and his land. Uh, verse 2. And you shall do to Ai and its king, just as you did with Jericho and its king, you shall take only the spoil that is that its cattle and plunder for yourself and set an ambush for the city behind it. Now, I want you to underline this, per, this one phrase here. Take only its spoil. Take only its spoil. You know what that's telling us? If Achan had only waited one more city, he could have had it with no problem. See, he was impatient. I think any time that you have an urge to buy something, especially if it's a bigger, a larger ticketed item, it's a good idea to wait a while. All the ladies are giving me their looks. Impulsive buying. You know, there was uh, 
in sales, it's not the product that sells. They used to teach us it's not the steak, it's the sizzle that sells. That's why they used to have a steakhouse called Sizzler. They were selling the sizzle. But the sizzle only sizzles so long. And then after a while, once you stop and think about it and with a clear head and all the, the great things you're thinking about this product kind of fades. I don't remember when it was. It was probably 30 years ago. And I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it was from a picture or I had a friend or whatever. But I thought I had to have a catamaran. You know, that's the, one, the pontoons with the tarp across and the sail going up. Now, I, don't, I have never sailed a sailboat. Well, that's not exactly true. Carrie and I went on a Bahamas, yeah, Bahamas. And they were renting these little sailboats. And that was the ocean out there. It was the Gulf of Mexico, whatever it was, big body of water. And they said, okay, when you come to rent this, you had to sign something that says, oh, yes, you're uh, uh, good at sailing, you sailed before and all that. And I didn't think my sin was going to find me out, so I said, yes, <laughs> expert. I didn't even know which point of the boat to put out. So <laughs> we got on that little sailboat, and the wind was blowing, and we were going out there, and I thought, it's, let me tell you, it is much harder than it looks. Even if it's a little one, maybe that might make it harder, I don't know. But we kept going out, and I was trying to get us back in. And so finally, the only way I knew to, to turn it around, I jumped out in the water and just did this number for about a thousand times to get the boat going back the right way. And I don't know what, where it was an hour that you had. By the time I was done, I could hardly even walk back to the place. I was so tired. And I don't know, I had to give them something back, the life vest or something. See, our sin finds us out. But anyway, that's not my point. The point is, is that I thought, maybe that's what gave me the urge, the burning desire to have a catamaran. I mean, I thought, I woke up thinking about catamarans, go to sleep thinking about catamarans. I just had to have it. And I was looking in the paper every day, where's a catamaran? And they were so hard to find that the longer it took to find a catamaran... I'm not talking about a big one. I'm talking about one that you haul on a trailer. The less important it seemed to be. And I look back now and say, I am so thankful, Lord, that I did not get that catamaran. Now, what would have happened if I would have, if I'd have got it in, while I was still, the sizzle was there, and I really didn't think it through? I would have bought it. Then I would have been the one who had the ad in the paper waiting for somebody to be struck that they had to have a catamaran. So, the fact is that if Aiken would have waited, he would have had what he wanted anyway. It's not the things that make us happy anyway. So, that is my little spiel for impulse buying. Verse 3, So Joshua rose with all the people of war to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose... 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. Now, do you remember how many they sent when they said, oh, we got this covered, we'll just take them. You remember how many? 3,000. Now they're taking 30,000. Ten times more. 
And this is the way God had designed the Israelites to function. When you go to battle, you hit them with everything you have. You don't hold anything in reserve. But more importantly, by this time, Joshua had learned his lesson. He didn't, cons- uh, he didn't ask God what he should do about AI. He didn't have any counsel from God. He just, okay, guys, this is so easy. Y'all just go out and do it. 3,000, yeah, that's fine. Now he went to the Lord. He's learned his lesson. What is it? Uh, he's, is it eat, eating, he ate crow? Is that it? Crow, I don't know. Is that, do you young people, do y'all ever, have y'all ever heard of eating crow? You have? That, I ask them all the time. Do you know what this is? Anyway, that's good that you know it. He ate his crow. He had crow pie. Now he is ready to listen to God, and he's going to hit AI with 30,000 people. Now, the rest of this, for so many uh, scriptures, is just giving the logistics with regards to uh, how the battle went and, and the maneuvers and so forth. Um, arrogance was the big problem. We drop down to verse uh, 25. They defi- decisively defeated AI. And look at the last phrase. What did I say, 25? And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of AI. So when they went to AI the first time, they had only one-fourth of the troops compared to the number of people in AI. And this time they hit them with 30,000. They defeated them. Now go to verse 29. Look at the last phrase. And they raised over it a great heap of stones that stands to this day. What are the Israelites doing everywhere they're going? Huh? They're leaving stones everywhere. And why? It's a memorial. It's to remind people. See, this is we are people who need to be reminded of things. That's why we take communion. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. Because... We can let life become so overwhelming and all the details press in so hard that we forget what's really important. And the thing that's really important is our relationship with our Lord. And that has to be based on faith and humility. And it's so easy for us to start trusting in ourselves, trusting someone else, and become arrogant. So we have to be reminded all the time. Okay, now in verse 30, there's a major shift in what... This chapter is talking about. If you have a good Bible, there'll be a break there of some kind. I have a pericope there. Pericope is just a, a title, a heading, and it says, Worship at Ebal, E-B-A-L. So at, what I would suggest that you put here in, in this break is, is through taking care of AI, now it's time for worship. Make your own pericope. You know, you can do that at any time. Make your own little heading because from there to the end of the chapter, that's what it's talking about, is a time out for worship. I have to give you a little background. 
that you would be helpful for you here. And that is that in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 2 through 8, was the command. Moses had commanded Joshua, when you cross the river, you need to go to Mount Ebal and there will be a time of worship. He told him where to go. He told him what to do. But he didn't tell him when to do it. So here you have the second victory of the Israelites over the over Canaanite city. And what do you think all the rest of the cities in Canaanite were doing when they heard that Jer- Jericho fell? Now they heard AI fell. What do you what do you suppose they were doing? Yeah, they were trembling, all right. But they were. We'll see in chapter nine, verse one that they started massing their forces together. The first thing we see in chapter 9 is they go, they're no longer on the defensive, hiding behind the walls. They, they finally figured out, hey, this isn't working. We better mass all of our power together and hit the Israelites. That was their strategy. Do you think that Joshua, who was an expert uh, military man, uh, that somehow he didn't know that that was happening? Of course he knew it. But in the middle of all that, Joshua decided this is the time that we're going to obey what Moses told us and we're going to go to Ebal and we're going to worship. Mount Ebal. Now, where is Mount Ebal? Let me get this. Um, let me get this map back up here. Uh, Mount Ebal is about 20 miles away, as we'll see here. Here they are in the hit AI, conquered AI, and then they're going to go all the way up here. This is Mount Ebal, and this is Mount uh, Gerarim, and two mountains here, and this is Shechem. This is where they were told to go and worship, so he decided, I don't care what happens, we're going to obey and let God sort out the rest. Does that remind you of something that they did right after they crossed the river here before they went to Jericho? What did they do? They shut down and obeyed. All the uh, young men were going to be circumcised because they weren't during the time in the uh, wilderness. And do you remember why they weren't? Because this is the circumcision was a sign of, of grace and Humility and the relationship that Abraham had with God and his descendants would carry that out. And they didn't have that in the wilderness. The only reason they were in the wilderness because they didn't trust God. They could have gone over and taken the land earlier, but they didn't. So God, it was a curse on them. So they said, okay, we're going to do that. So here you have most of their military was, uh, uh, were, were not able to do battle. And for all they knew, all these pagans here were right there ready to, to take them. Did God protect them? Is He going to protect them here? Absolutely He's going to do it. Now, let's look at verse 31. Well, just verse 30. Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses. That's Deuteronomy 8, 27, 2 through 8. 
an altar of uncut stones on which man had which no man had wielded an iron tool they offered to burnt burnt offerings on it to the lord and sacrificed peace offerings and so forth i want you to underline altar of uncut stones altar of un why did the altar that they were going to make there have to be uncut stones two reasons number 1 that's what the pagans did and God didn't want any of His altars looking like pagan altars. If you ever went down to see any pagan pyramids or altars or anything, you'll always see that they carve things in it. Carrie and I went down to Chichenitsa. That's down south of um, Cancun. And they had pyramids there. And every, all these stone things, I guess it was the Mayans. I don't remember whether the Mayans or Aztecs. Anyway... They had these monster-looking creatures all over it, uh, you, you, what they call gorgiles. You know what a gorgile is? Young people, you all know what gorgiles Okay, good, two in a row. Uh, they're grotesque-looking figures. And I think that's part of the demon worship that they performed. That's what the pagan, pagan altars look like. God said, we'll have none of that. You don't cut any stone on your altars. The number two... Cutting a stone in, wor- in, in worshiping God would, at- would allow man to get works involved in it. When man built an altar to God, what they did was all they did was stack stones. They, they didn't do any work with regards to cutting images or anything. If, if they cut, it Im- cut images and so forth, it'd be like, well, yeah, you worshiped that altar, but look at the image I cut. <laughs> Who could miss? So that's the two reasons that uncut stones were important. Go down to verse 14. Excuse me. I I, I just jumped to chapter 9. I'm not there yet. I'm thinking in 9 and I'm teaching 8 right now. Go down to verse 34. Then afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that was written in the book of the law. So when they got there, there was two big mountains, and half of the population was going to go here, half the population was going to go over here, and they were going to, uh, Joshua was going to read the, entire, the Mosaic law. you know how long that is? you know how much time that must have taken to get all the people situated and to do that? I want you to underline the blessing and the curse. You know what this worship excursion was all about? To remind them that there's blessing with obedience and there's cursing or discipline with disobedience. They had a choice. Remind them that they could have Blessing or they could have cursing. Now, all the time that he was doing this, we're going to see... Well, we have time to do this. Let me get out of here for right now. Y'all, y'all get the lay of the land here. They were way up there. Now, the land of Canaan didn't stop here. It went way on up. It, up here is the uh, what we call today... That's my wrong pointer. Lake, <laughs> Lake uh, Galilee. Sea of, uh, sea of Galilee is up here. And it went down further south here and went way on up into here like this. This is where, And they're right in the dead center of it. 
And so we can go to the next to the next um, chapter. Essentially, verse 30 through 35 is giving details on how they worshipped, why they worshipped. Now, with verse 9, I mean, excuse me, chapter 9, here is the heading for you. This is the gist of what this chapter is all about. Deception and making oaths. Deception and making oaths. We have the enemy going on the offensive here in verse 1. Look at this, of chapter 9. Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and all along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, then it gives all these people, uh, when they heard of it, when they heard that Jericho fell and Ai fell, verse 2, that they gathered themselves together with one account to fight with Joshua and with Israel. Now, this is so typical as it is today. The pagans were a lot like the, Meg, uh, the, the Muslims of the day. They can't get along with each other. Uh, they're over there. Uh, I just got a, an email from the Consulate General of Israel, and he has a, I ought to print this out and give it to you because he's saying the UN is constantly... Addressing issue down, uh, addressing down issue the uh, Israel for uh, they're the problem in the Middle East. They are the festering sore. If it wasn't for them, the Muslims could just live happily ever after. Well, the Muslims, what what about this Arab Spring? What is all that about? Isn't that in that Arab against Arab? You for the most part Muslim against mo- Muslims. You have the Sunnis that are going against the Shiites and have been for 1,300 years, what did we go to, to Kuwait for anyway? It was a, one Muslim trying to kill another Muslim. They can't agree on anything. They're so independent, and they always, they're always each other, trying to kill each other. It was the same way here, except one thing united them, and that was their hatred for Israel. Does that sound familiar? Hmm? Nothing never changes, does it? Nothing new under the sun. So that's what we see in verse 1. These ancient enemies, they're always... See, these weren't even states. These were, they call them city-states. Each little city was a, uh, essentially a nation of its own, and none of them could get, a, get, a, come a, uh, get along. But now they were going to fight for their own survival. This also reminds me of what is yet to come, probably not in the, ne- near, uh, in the very near future, we're going to have the worst time that has ever been. I say we. I'm talking about planet Earth. Population of the Earth that will be remaining then. We won't. I'm talking about the tribulation. It'll be the worst time that has ever been or ever will come. What is it? Satan has taken over territory and he's not going to let it go without a fight. The same thing happened here. The land of Canaan was not only pagan... It was degenerate and it was occultic. It was full of demon worship. That was 
Satan's territory. Well, you know that that was going to be the, the, the issue, don't you? I mean, this is where God had said this is His land. That is for His people, Israel. What is Satan going to do? The first thing he's going to do is go over there and claim it. So all this land was concentrated demon worship and pagans, and they weren't going to let it go without a fight. And so they are massing their forces. And the same thing is going to happen again. Remember I said nothing new under the sun? Same thing is going to happen because Satan has taken over this territory. What is this territory, by the way? Planet Earth. He's the ruler of this earth. And he's not going to let it go without a fight. And the fight is coming. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is going to return. He promised he would. And when he returns, he's not going to come back and go to the United Nations. Let's have a sit-down powwow, some kind of negotiating thing. That's what world leaders think. The only thing that they're going to understand is force. And when Jesus Christ has a force that is so shocking, you know, all what shocking all? Wait till Christ returns, and he is going to wrestle this land, this this world back and take control of it away from Satan. And do you see, can you see the parallel between what's happening in the past there and what's right around the corner? These, these are not unlinked. This is just a preview of what's coming. This is their attitude. I want you to turn to Psalm 2 for just a moment. Psalm 2, one of my favorite psalms. All these kings are gathering together. You think God was worried? <laughs> you have to chuckle at that one, don't you? Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? These kings were devising a vain thing when they thought that they could amass all their armies, all their troops together and be successful. Because these are the children of God. They are the children of the Almighty, the Creator of the universe. And they think that they can have an advantage. Verse 2, The kings of the earth take their stand. Exactly what they were doing. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. This is what is going to take place at the second advent when Christ comes and sets things straight. But it's also on a smaller scale what's happening here as well. When these kings are setting themselves up and they're going to go against the Lord's anointed people. Verse 3, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us as if they can do something on their own. Look what verse 4 says. He who sits in the heavens, what? laughs. Don't you love it? Huh? Aren't you so glad that our great God is not intimidated by all the kings on the earth put together? He has a power they can't even imagine. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then He will speak to, him, speak to them in His anger and terrify them in His fury. But as for me, I have installed my king 
upon Zion, my holy mountain. Now, this has other areas that it refers to, but I think you can make a case that it refers to what we see in verse 1 and 2, don't you? The pagans set themselves. They're going to annihilate God's people. And God sits in the heavens and laughs. And it's so interesting how this came about. What we're going to see, I've got to stop here, but what we're going to see, you would think that there's going to be a showdown between all these kings and Israel, wouldn't you? Isn't that what you would perceive? Are you all still awake? All right. That's what you would think, isn't it? But that's not what happens. You know who they're going to attack? The Gibeonites. They're not even going to attack Israel. All these kings are gathered together and they're going to attack the Gibeonites. Well, why? The Gibeonites are part of the land, the people of Canaan. What's going on there? Well, you just going to have to tune in next time. Isn't that, isn't that something, the twists and turns that it takes? God is laughing so hard because they're all amassing. We've got this huge problem. We need to, to fight against the Israelites. Ah, a little twist happened. Now they're fighting against their own people. All these kings attack Gibeon. What a, what a, it, I find it interesting, don't you? And if you, if you, if you, this isn't an ancient book. This is a today's book. All these things were written for our admonition to learn. And we've learned about sin. God takes sin seriously. We can't think that we can just confess it and all, you know, we're fine. No, there's consequences. And your sin affects everyone else. God means, means business. There's a time to worship. Even when you think it's not. And even when the enemy forces are amassing, and you have enemies. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have enemies. And here we are at Country Bible Church, and we are worshiping this morning. We worshiped in song. And by the way, Bruce, we appreciate you leading us in music today. You did a good job. We are here worshiping when you gave. That's worshiping. And now we're studying the Word, and that's worshiping. And while we are worshiping, there are forces of darkness. And I'm not just talking about the people out there that have it in for you. But the demonic forces that are scheming and they're conniving and how they're going to have you for lunch. What is God doing up in the heavens? He's laughing because you are His child. They can't touch you unless He allows it. It's not them that we need to fear. We need to fear the Lord. Take Him seriously and obey Him. Please bow your heads. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Voluntarily went to the cross to take on your sins. He died. He was buried and resurrected. Anyone in this room Anyone in this hearing that puts your faith and your faith alone in Jesus Christ have eternal life. It cannot be lost and it doesn't have to be maintained. It is a gracious gift from our gracious God. And you can have it simply by receiving the free gift 
of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What a God. All the promises that are there. We are our own worst enemy when we neglect His Word and are distracted from having a relationship with Him. Father, help us to learn from these people who had to learn the hard way. Because of Your mighty Word, we can avoid many pitfalls. So we pray that You will give us the good sense the momentum to feed on this Word, not just as the hearing this morning, but to continue to think about it. Read it, look it up, and meditate on it. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.